Welcome to Chi Alpha at Texas Tech University. The messages in this podcast were designed to encourage you and to challenge you in your walk with Jesus. We're so excited that you're here, and we hope that this message will help you to better fight for God's kingdom with us. I want you to imagine that tonight, every one of you here contract a terminal disease. And then Karen and I leave and you find out tomorrow we had the cure with us, but we didn't share it with you. What would you think about us? What would you say about us? Your future depends on something within our capacity. When we talk about a world like these unreached people groups, we're not talking about numbers, we're talking about names. We're talking about people who earn or bring the same ability and desire for God that you brought before Jesus sat you in one of these chairs by his grace. Who deserve to be here as much as you and I deserve to be here. But in this world in which we live, there are two kinds of people. Those on the giving end of the gospel because they've already received it. And those on the receiving end. If you're here tonight and you have taken a need to Jesus Christ. Proclaimed him as your Lord and Savior. You are the one person walking around this campus in this country, and on this planet, with the cure that will save people. This isn't about a cause. This isn't about feeling good. This isn't humanitarianism. This is moral outrage that half of the population of planet Earth has never had the chance to raise their hands and sing to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So tonight, we're not going to talk about being motivated. We're not going to talk about being inspired. We're going to talk about loving Jesus and having the willingness to do whatever it takes to honor Jesus across planet Earth. Because I do believe that Jesus died not just for Glenn, Karen, Nick, Paige. He died for Muhammad, Khadija, and you can begin to... Fill in the names of ethnic groups. I believe it when the Bible says, in that day, there will be a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, bowing before the throne of Jesus. But tonight, there are 7,000 ethnic groups that are not represented before Jesus. Some of these range in millions of people. With not one person in that language saying, you are worthy of praise. And so tonight I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 21. I bring you greetings from Texas A&M. Last night, God fell on students 
in a very powerful way, and I believe he's here tonight to do the same. John chapter 20. I'm going to read a few verses for us. The scene here is this. The disciples pinned all their hopes on Jesus. They abandoned their careers. They left behind their families. They walked with a master who didn't have a street address. He said, I have nowhere to lay my head. They've gone with him through persecution. They've gone with him through exciting teaching and incredible miracles. They've had the highs, they've had the lows. But they've had the ultimate low of watching him die. And when he died, their dreams died. When he died, the future that they had envisioned died. When he died, the very reason they left who they were and what they did died. And now they don't know what to do and they hear rumors that maybe he died and he's risen again. And you know, for you and me, we're used to this. Every year we celebrate that he was born and then we celebrate in April that he rose from the dead. But I want you to imagine that someone tonight in this sanctuary, whom we all know and love, suddenly dies tomorrow. And you and I pack out this sanctuary the next day and we are crying and we are sobbing, and we are grieving, and how would you feel in that moment? You would feel the crater in your heart that was in the heart of the disciples. Because you not only lost a friend, they lost a friend and they lost a Savior. They lost a Messiah. They lost a future. They lost the fulfillment of prophecy. They lost a religion. When that man died on the cross. Now imagine you and I are crying for our friend. And then I want you to imagine. That the next day you're driving to campus. And there is your friend walking past you. Accident. Shock. Bewilderment. You see the unfortunate thing of living 2,000 years after the fact is you lose the impact of the fact. You watched him bleed. You watched them beat him. You watched him die. You saw where they put his body. But now he's alive. And this is what happens in verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when the, they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And When he had said this, he, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, tonight is your night. And this is your moment. We have gathered here out of allegiance to you, Lord Jesus. And so I just ask that you would speak to us. Speak to me. Speak to every person here. 
Help us, O God, to realize the impact of these words. As the Father sent you, Lord Jesus, you also are sending us. For the sake of your name we pray. Amen. If you take a trip to London, England, every tour guide will tell you be sure to stop by Westminster Abbey. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. When you go to Westminster Abbey, you will discover that in the walls and on the grounds of that, that Christian Abbey are the remains of several luminaries of British society. Isaac Newton, Stephen Hawking is there, Charles Dickens. There's also a Scottish explorer by the name of David Livingston. David Livingston was a Christian explorer who spent most of his life on the continent of Africa. He went through all kinds of hardships because he had two reasons he believed God had him on planet Earth. The first reason was that he would find a way that missionaries could easily access the most remote parts of Africa and preach the good news of Jesus. The second one was, he believed God had raised him up to attack the hideous industry of slave trade. And when you go to Zanzibar, those of you who are going to go, you can actually go to a church where David Livingston went because that island was the hub for the Arab slave trade. And he stood in a pulpit on that island and said, this is against the God of heaven. So you can go to Westminster Abbey. You can look at where his remains are, but if you know his history, someone will tell you his body is here, but his heart is in the soil of the nation of Zambia. Because he requested, that's where he died. He actually died kneeling by his bed, praying. And he told his workers, they're going to want my body back in England. They're going to want to give it honor. But I want to make sure that Africa gets my heart. Because Africa has always had my heart. So somewhere in Africa is the heart of David Livingston. What makes a man do this? What makes a man risk it all? And live for one solitary purpose. To find a way to preach the gospel. To liberate both spiritual and physical souls. What makes a man be willing to go through the ridicule? Because today he's a hero. But in his day he was scandalous. He was often abused. He was often ridiculed. He was often looked down on. And this is what he would do. Every time he ran into resistance. He had a saying. And his saying was this, sympathy is no substitute for action. And we live in an age of sympathy. We live in an age where we see someone put a cause on Facebook and we hit like and somehow we feel good about it. But our little like won't change any life on planet earth. Our little one dollar at the counter is not going to change lives. 
our little effort to say, oh, I identify with this. I wear the T-shirt. I wear the, the things around my wrist or whatever it is we want to do. Those are fine, but those aren't going to change lives. Slogans are not going to change the world. Programs are not going to change the world. What will change the world is someone with the cure being willing to go to the world. That's what will change the world. Someone getting up from their seat at Texas Tech and saying, because I didn't deserve it, I'm willing to go and give it to someone else who doesn't deserve it. There was a Methodist minister in Raleigh, North Carolina in 1833. He made an announcement that he was resigning his church and he was moving to Liberia, West Africa. Melvin Cox was a survivor of tuberculosis. He survived with a frail body, but his wife and child did not survive. And when he announced to his little Methodist church that he was resigning and moving to Liberia, where we started our ministry in Africa, was Sierra Leone, which is next to Liberia. And that whole region there was called the white man's graveyard because all of the missionaries that went to that part of Africa, 90% of them died in their first year of service on the continent. And it got to where the news would come back and the new recruits would say, well, let's just be practical here. And instead of packing their belongings in suitcases, they packed them in coffins cut to size. That's live dead. Okay. I know that by me saying yes, I'm going to get an early promotion to heaven. But I have the cure. I have something inside of me that says, I'm not going to sit here and make a retirement for myself and just watch with apathy while millions march off the cliff of eternity. I'm going to go do something about it. And Melvin Cox said, I'm going to do something. And you know what his family said to him and his church? No, this can't be the will of God. Send someone else Inspire someone else. Support someone else. We need you here. We want you to be in a safe place. Do any of these words sound familiar? And Melvin Cox said, it is my privilege to go and to serve. And so he got on a boat and he went. His first month in Liberia, he contracted malaria. Malaria still to this day is the number one killer on planet Earth. But thanks to medicine, you look at people like me who've had it 20-some times, and we still keep going, all right? Thank God for medicine. Melvin Cox didn't have that medicine. After a five-month missionary career, he dies. And his family requested his belongings. His family's in mourning back in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they're saying things like people often say, what a tragedy. We told him not to go. Why didn't he listen to us? 
And then they opened his journal. And on the day when they were putting all of this pressure on him, he went to his knees in prayer. And this is what he wrote in his journal. Let a thousand fall before Africa be given up. If it means I die, send 999 more people after me before you give up on Africa. I want you to know it is immoral to bow your knee to a prince and a king with nail-pierced feet and hands and then think that you and I will never have to carry a cross for Him. To say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like the Son of God who sacrificed everything for me because He loved me. And then we think we're going to march into heaven with an insurance policy against suffering. The Bible says that when Jesus was dying on the cross, this is the very Son of God. This is the one in whom He was well pleased. It said it pleased God. It pleased God to see His very Son suffer and die. We don't like God's language. But the reality is, if it did not please God, and if Jesus did not agree, you and I wouldn't be sitting here tonight. We are the recipients of a determined God. You are the first evidence that God loves earth so much that he gave his only begotten son. You and I are the fruit of a relentless pursuit of God. And now we're going to come here tonight... And we're going to declare before him in a few moments in music. I'm here because I love you and I want to be like you. Well, this is what he's like. This is what he does. He leaves the 99. He finds the one. He leaves heaven and all of the worship of the angels to come and be abused by the very people he created. If you ever want to know how determined God is to love you, then know this, He carries the marks on His body. The pierced hands and the pierced feet. And so tonight, I want to plant an idea in your heart. Because I believe God is going to use this ministry on this campus to change this world. But it won't be because we hit like buttons or we watch a video or we quote someone on social media. When God wants to change a person, he sends a person. When God wants to show what he can do in a life, he models a life. You are God's publicity on planet Earth. You are evidence that Jesus is alive. You are the proof that when someone gives their life to Jesus, whoever they were and whatever they did is removed. And the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You hear what that says? You were saved for a purpose.
And that purpose is far bigger than a degree or a career. That purpose is far bigger than a life plan. Because God is playing chess tonight and you and I are playing checkers. You and I are sitting here trying to plot tomorrow out, next year out, five years out. And the God of eternity says, look up to me. I see the beginning from the end. So tonight, here's what I want to propose. When Jesus walked into this room, he walked into disciples who had failed. They failed. Peter denied him three times. It says in Luke, after he denied Jesus the third time, Jesus looked at him and Peter ran out and wept bitterly. They had failed. Just like you and I. We're not here to condone it. We're just here to confess it. And Jesus looked at them. Disciples who felt weak. Disciples who didn't stand up in the moment of greatest trial. Disciples who all ran away except for John. Disciples who didn't even show up at the cross because they didn't have the guts to do it. Even though the night before, it wasn't just Peter. If you read the Gospels carefully, it said, all the disciples said, we will never leave you or abandon you. And Jesus shows up to this collection of disciples and listen to what he says. Peace be to you. That's the greeting in his day and time. Well-being to you. Shalom to you. And he says it to them again. And then he says this. As the Father has sent me. You know what he's trying to say? The mission isn't over. But wait a minute, Jesus. We failed you. The mission isn't over. But you don't know what I've done. Yeah, I do. The mission isn't over. You don't know the wounds that's on me right now because of something that's happened in my past. Yes, I do. I'm the God who knows the beginning from the end. And the mission is not over. This word sent is very important in the Gospel of John. You will find it 54 times. 45 of those times, it's Jesus who is saying it. The Jesus who said, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son in John 3.16. In John 3.17, He says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come on His own. He was sent by the Father. Jesus stands up in John chapter 4. He's at the well. The disciples are coming out of the city of Sychar. And as they're looking up, they see him talking to a woman at the well. And now she's gone into the town and brought the people of the town out. The disciples brought lunch out. She brought the people out. And when he looks up and he sees the people, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. He says in chapter 5, my words are controversial, but they're not my words. They're the words of him who sent me. He says in John chapter 9, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work again. In John 14, John 16, three times he says the Holy Spirit will be sent. The disciples were sent. 
Jesus was sent. The Holy Spirit was sent. What about you and me? This is our spiritual heritage. If they were sent, we must be sent. And the power of being sent is found in the two things I'm going to leave with you tonight. And then we're going to pray about it. Because the first thing that happens whenever you bring up a challenge like this, people begin to take inventory. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm Melvin Cox. I don't know if I'm David Livingston. I don't know if people will agree for me to do this. Here's what I want you to know tonight. There are two reasons you are qualified to go out and help conquer the world for the glory of Jesus. Because this is war. Do you know that? The first one is this. You are sent because you are chosen. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, this is very important tonight. There are people sitting here tonight that have such deep hurt inside of them. You carry a negative self voice inside of you. Or you carry the voice of someone who's wounded you deeply. Or you carry some secret that you are just terrified will someday leak out. You walk in this kind of fear. You walk in this kind of shame. And Jesus stands in front of you tonight and says, I know your secrets. I know your wounds. I know your background. And I am here to tell you the mission is not finished. You see, Jesus doesn't choose your talent. Jesus chooses you. Everything about you. How do I know I'm supposed to be sent to the world? You love Jesus, don't you? If you love Jesus, it means Jesus first loved you. It means Jesus chose you. The qualification is being chosen. But I'm not a good speaker. You're chosen. But I don't have great ideas. You're chosen. But I don't know where to go. You're chosen. And the one who has chosen you is the God of the universe. The power of our mission is not that people are asking us to come. The power of our mission is that the God of the universe is telling us to go. Tonight God is here for the willing. To unshackle you from your fear. To remove all the voices of negativity. To end the cycle of getting up for Jesus on a, win on a Thursday night. And then failing on a Friday when you're alone. He's here tonight to tell you. You are more than conquerors through him who loved you. Gave himself up for you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He's here to tell you that tonight. He's also here to tell you this. And this is the second thing. The reason you and I are qualified to be sent is we are sent because we are called to be like him. You want to be like Jesus? Take up a cross and follow him. What does that mean in practical terms? It means go back to your roommate who you can't stand. And be Jesus to that person. It means walk on this campus unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the medicine. It is the power of God unto salvation.
It means serving when you don't feel like it. It means forgiving when you don't feel you should. It means that you will lay down whatever it takes so that he can be lifted up the way he desires. I have watched as students and people from campuses to churches has dawned on them. I am chosen specifically by the God of the universe. He has selected me to become like Him. And to become like Him means I pack my coffin with my career, with my dreams, with my fears, with my talent, with my relationships, with my money, with my future, with everything. I pack it in there and I say, all to you, Jesus, because you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. And so tonight, I'm here to simply say, is he worthy? Do you think he's chosen you? Do you think he's told you to become like him? You cannot be like Jesus and be apathetic about a world going to hell. Several years ago, I was asked to go to the nation of Nigeria. If you keep up with international news, and I hope you do because it'll help your prayer life, if nothing else. You know that Nigeria has been rocked for decades with violence, ethnic violence, and religious-based violence. And there was a pastor in this country, a short guy, but man, was he a dynamo. He, he was courageous. And if you know Nigerians, if they're on campus, you will know they are always full of zeal. If you, are, if you don't feel strong about preaching, go to Nigeria. They'll say amen to anything that's not heresy, okay? <laughs> they, just, they just love getting excited about Jesus. You'll think you're, you know, Billy Graham before you're done, you know, because they're just all excited and coming to the front. They called me into this conference to talk to them about how to reach their Muslim neighbors. And the first day that I'm teaching, every one of them are sitting like this. And I said, what is going on here? This is not the Nigeria I'm familiar with because we knew a lot of Nigerians. Toward the end of that first day, I was making a comment, you know, the first thing that you do when you want to reach someone, it's just like here on campus, you want to reach someone, walk into their life. Don't stand on the outside telling them who to be and what to do. So I said, you got to go eat with them. I told them how every Muslim holiday we are honored guests in homes and we go eat there. And one of them, she, this sister, she finally raised her hand. She said, Reverend, that's what they call you in Nigeria. Reverend, what if they poison your food like they poisoned my friend's food and it killed him? I looked at that question. I said, well, to be honest, I've never been trained to know what to do in a situation like that. And one by one. I felt the chill in the room. There was a lady there whose husband had been a pastor and he was caught in the violence one time and they burned him right in front of her family. 
And this is what was going on. And I'm standing up there and I'm saying, everyone get fired up to go again and share the love of Jesus. And they're like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. That might work for you over in Togo or Senegal or Sierra Leone, wherever you've lived, but this is Nigeria. And the resistance was palpable. And I was concerned because I'm supposed to be motivating them and I'm helping them justify their apathy and resentment. And finally, something hit me. I believe it was on the Tuesday session. And this was going on again. But what about this? But what about that? And I finally said, listen, you don't have the right to worship a Jesus who died for you if you won't go out and die for him. Okay, that was going to go one or two ways. The one week seminar was going to end early or somebody was going to crack and allow the love of Jesus to creep in. The next day, one of them stood up and said, Reverend, I have something to say. God has convicted me of my attitude. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to love my Muslim neighbors. I thought, well, good. At least one person <laughs> out of this huge room full of people. But then it started a chain reaction. Another one stood up and some others stood up. And finally, on the last day, this pastor said to stood up. Now, I had just since arriving, have been informed of his story. This pastor, in the middle of violence, had bravely run out and was saving Christian and Muslim lives by pulling them away from those that were killing people in the streets and hiding them in his house. He was a courageous man. And he didn't care. He didn't say, now, who, what's your religion? Uh-uh. You're a person created by the creator of the universe, and I love you, and he saved them. Only the last time he had done it, and the reason he was so in such, he was conflicted so much inside, was his 16-year-old daughter had been captured in the streets, brutalized and cut and left to bleed and die. She didn't die, but internally it was like death. And now as a father, he's having to fight through the feelings he has about what happened to his daughter. And here is this short man, but spiritual giant, standing up and saying, I too have been convicted. I was so moved, I thought, well, we could end the seminar right now. When a life is transformed like that, you don't need any more teaching or preaching. I go back to Togo a few weeks later, I get an email. The email informs us that Pastor Setu, there was violence again in Joss, Nigeria, and this time he ran out like he had done times before to save people. And while he's out there saving people, they captured Pastor Setu and they burned him in the streets of Joss, Nigeria. And something inside of me just fell to the floor. And I said, oh God, he would not have been there if I hadn't have gone for that conference. 
Somehow this has turned itself around and now I'm feeling somehow responsible in a small way. And I'm just sitting there complaining. Where were the angels? You know how we do. Why didn't you prevent this? You've protected him so many other times. Why didn't you protect him this time? And all of this frustration just welling up. It's just me alone in my office at the seminary where I was teaching. And all of a sudden, when I quieted down, God thundered inside of me and said these words. Pastor Setu is dancing with the angels before me right now. And if he must die on the streets of Joss, Nigeria, so that people come to know my son, what is that to you? You go and you preach my word. I want you to know that when this ministry begins to believe this deeply, that the only solution for our world is Jesus Christ, and I will pay whatever price he asks of me, you will revolutionize your campus. You will revolutionize your family. You will revolutionize this nation. And you will go to the nations. And one day you will dance with Pastor Setu in heaven. And you will look behind you and see lives that are in heaven. Because you were willing to be sent. And so here we are right now, with everyone's eyes open, knowing that I'm not talking about a one-week trip, I'm talking about a lifetime. If you're willing to say, count me, count me, Jesus. The only reason I can say this is because I know you chose me. And I know you told me to be like you. I'll lay my career on the altar. If you want to use that, wonderful. And if you don't, I trust you. I want to be very plain tonight. God does not cooperate with the control of our lives. He is either Lord or he is not involved in the way that we want him to be involved. He's not here to bless your plans. He is here to bless his plan. If that's you tonight, you say, well, I'm afraid. That's okay. Because he doesn't just call you to go. He says, I'll go with you. Isn't that a great thought? I want you to do something. Reason I don't like people closing their eyes in a Chi Alpha gathering is because if you can't respond here, you will never respond on your campus. You're on your home court right now. And there's an enemy out there. If you're willing to be counted in, I want you to get up. I want you to march to the front of this sanctuary. The worship team is going to come and we're going to go straight into worship. But you're not coming up because you're inspired. You're coming up because you're determined to answer the call to be sent.
And if you need someone else to get up before you do, you're not ready. But if you're saying, I'm not putting any conditions on it. I'm not going to sit here and wait to see if it's a popular idea or not. I just know inside of me, I want to come up right now. I want to give my life afresh and anew to Jesus. And I want to tell him, I want to be like you because I'm so grateful that you chose me. If that's you, get up from where you are right now and come to the front. I declare to you tonight, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God never calls a man or a woman to do something, but what he doesn't give them the power and the ability to do. The work of God is not built on your commitment or my inspiration. The work of God is built on his determination. He is determined to love you and give you strength. He is determined to heal you from every wound. He is determined to whisper in your heart. That is not who you are. Who they say you are is not who you are. You are who he says you are. There are lives here tonight that are going to have a boldness like never before. You're going to go back to that person that every time you feel, you feel emotionally beaten down when you want to bring up Jesus with them, you're going to have boldness now. You're going to go home with boldness. You're going to go back to that hurtful friendship, forgiveness. You're going to go back to that classroom and say, I'm much more than the career or the degree that I'm going to earn from this institution. I am a child of God sent by God with the medicine that can save the universe. If you truly believe tonight that this is an altar between God and you, I promise you God will never disappoint you. God will never refuse you. And God will never abandon you. I'm going to ask your pastor to come. And pray over you. Lord Jesus, would you be the helper that you said that you are? You've sent your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're here right now to encourage us and to convict us. You deal with us as a tender father who loves his child. God, I feel like you're bringing things to our minds right now. You're bringing things, things that Glenn had talked about, Holy Spirit. Whatever you're bringing to our minds, our, our career, our future plans, maybe it's hopes for a, for a spouse or a life that's to come. The amount of money that we want to make. Lord Jesus, this is an altar space that we're in.
And in an altar space, you offer things up. And they're destroyed and they're taken away as a sacrifice. And God, you've given us everything. Everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus, you gave it up. You gave up your throne in heaven for a time to be here with us. And you gave up everything to buy us back. You said that you came not to be served, but to be served and give your life as a ransom for many. What a privilege that we could do the same with our lives. So Holy Spirit, as you're bringing these things to our minds and bringing these things to our hearts that we know we need to lay down and sacrifice, would you also, Holy Spirit, give us the courage, the encouragement to do so and worship you as you deserve, oh Jesus. You are the only thing worthy. We love you, Jesus. We trust you, God. If we need courage from our friends, let us ask one another for prayer. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, God. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Texas Tech Chi Alpha. For more information, you can visit our website at ttuxa.org.